Courageous Parents Network believes that the more parents and providers hear from each other about their experiences as caregivers, the better they can understand each other and work together in the care of the child. In this podcast, CPN's Blythe Lord talks with Kate Davidoff about her journey to become a pediatrician specializing in pediatric palliative care. Kate finished her medical residency in 2019 and completed her fellowship in palliative care in 2020. CPN invited Kate to share what called her to this noble career and what she has learned thus far. Welcome to the Courageous Parents Network podcast series. I am here as Executive Director of Courageous Parents Network with Kate Davidoff, who is graduating fellowship in pediatric palliative care, to talk with her about her journey becoming a pediatrician specializing in palliative care and to talk to her about what brought her into this field, what drives her, what she's learned. I am incredibly excited to spend this time with Kate, who I first met when she was, I think, a second year resident, right, Kate? That's right, actually. Thank you for having me and having this conversation. I'm really honored to be here and to share my story and my journey. I am Katherine Davidoff, and I am 32 years old. I went to college at BU and I graduated in 2010 and then I moved down to Washington DC for five years and went to medical school there at Georgetown University. Then I missed New England tremendously so I decided to come back home for residency and I was at UMass Medical Center in Worcester for residency. I did a pediatrics residency there which was three years and ended up staying for an extra chief year So I was there for a total of four years, and now I am at Boston Children's Hospital doing a pediatric palliative care fellowship. Am I allowed to say where I'm going next year? You are. Great. I'm actually really excited because I'm staying local and will be the newest physician on the pediatric palliative care team at Mass General Hospital. What drew you into medicine? I've actually decided that I was going to be a doctor when I was about 12. My grandparents, so my mom's parents, both had chronic illnesses. My grandfather had Crohn's disease, and my grandmother had multiple sclerosis, so I spent a lot of time in hospitals when I was a kid. They had a lot of admissions. My grandfather actually was at MGH a lot, so it's kind of weird for me to be going back there. It's a little bit of a full circle journey for me. So I spent a lot of time as a preteen and a very formative time in my life engaging with the medical system. I think my path to where I am now in palliative care really was set at that time because I saw firsthand how chronic illness and disease affected families. And that was really my impetus for deciding to go into medicine was to help other people and to help offset that burden and that suffering that families experienced. Is there a part of you that pays particular attention to the siblings? I do. It's definitely something that's important, and their experience is just as valid as everyone else that's part of the family. And I think that's one of the things I love, not only about pediatrics, especially about palliative care, is that we are so family-centric. We really think about the family as a unit and also try to think about the individuals who are part of that family and how illness may be affecting each and every one of them, whether that be the patient themselves, their siblings, their parents, their grandparents, whomever are important caregivers and providers and loved ones in their life. What drove you to pediatrics? So I've always loved kids. 
I loved babysitting when I was a kid. I'm kind of a goofball. So I think I've always just connected really well with children. And when I was going into medical school, I had a sense I was going to be a pediatrician. And I tried really hard to maintain some objective nature going into my clinical rotations. And I set up my, my third year of medical school, which is the first year we do our clinical rotations, thinking that pediatrics was going to be the pinnacle of my year. I was going to get to it when I was feeling my best. And I went through subsequently a lot of different experiences and surprisingly really enjoyed surgery. I still remember feeling going into my pediatric rotation, wondering if I was going to feel like, oh, maybe the pull towards surgery is it or, or what. And it did not take long for me to realize that kids are, kids are where, who I'm supposed to be working with. And I just, I really appreciate their, their innocence, their resiliency, their kind of unfiltered view of the world. And it's also just kind of fun to be able to talk about light things sometimes like cartoons or music there's no reason why adults can't have those conversations but it just feels different when you're having that conversation with a child i enjoy having fun while i work and i feel like pediatrics was the way for me to be able to have the most fun while working when you were doing your rotation in pediatrics how many of the children that you saw were very seriously ill what was your first exposure to a child living with a serious illness and some of the things that would then become the fair that is the fair of pediatric yeah. palliative care? As a medical student, I was at Georgetown, like I said, and they are actually a fairly large liver transplant center. So we took care of a lot of patients there who were there for months to years waiting to receive liver transplants and then recovering from the transplant. So I took care of a number of patients who unfortunately essentially lived in the hospital and had a lot of medical complexity due to their underlying disease and the unfortunate kind of medical course that they had to take waiting for liver transplant and seeing just how hard everyone worked to try and maintain some sense of normalcy and the sense of remembering that they're children and trying to allow them time to play and set schedules for them. And parents couldn't always be at the bedside because they had other family to take care of or other children at home and how to engage with these kids when they may have hours at a time alone during the day. And it just it's so sad because everyone's doing their best to provide for these kids and you know, we're all trying our hardest and it's just not a substitute for being at home and being with your family. And that was definitely something that I remember and stuck with me. It strikes me, you know, I came into this because it was foisted on me, right? Yes. Whereas this, this is something you have raised your hand and elected to do. You have chosen to be in the company, not just trying to help, but just to be in the company of children who are suffering in many instances, emotionally, mm -hmm. physically, certainly, right. and then in the company of siblings who are affected and parents who are suffering as they watch their children be sick and they have all the worries that come with that. It moves me deeply when I think of the fact that somebody raises their hand to do this. I appreciate you saying that. And 
to be honest, Blythe, I, I feel like it chose me. I feel very grateful to have ended up where I am because I don't think I necessarily would have gotten here if I hadn't listened to that inner voice and also had some really great mentors along the way. And I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I really do feel like it chose me. I, for a while, resisted the call a little bit. And what I mean by that is that I had the experience with my grandparents. I actually didn't talk about this before, but I did have an experience in an adult ICU as a medical student that, quite frankly, to me was horrifying because I was so saddened by the lack of conversations about what was important to families and to patients as they were nearing the end of their life. And it was a little bit traumatic for me and made me really reflect on the fact that we could be doing so much better as medical providers. And I think I carried both my personal experience with my grandparents and that particular experience as a medical student, along with the experiences caring for children who have complex chronic needs with me into residency. And I found myself really drawn to some of the more kind of quote unquote difficult situations, those more emotionally charged situations. I was not fearful of them, although I didn't always feel like I knew what to do in those situations. I, I really felt like I just tried to get to know patients and their families and understand them and acknowledge that I was going to do my best. And I've kind of tried to reframe that a little bit in a, in a very positive way, I think. So I went through the entirety of residency thinking, you know, I've been in training forever. I'm in my late twenties. I'm ready to like, just be done and I'm going to go do primary care and it's going to be great. And I always had this kind of passion for palliative care and what that meant. And I didn't really connect the dots quite honestly, that my passion may be more than just kind of like a side interest and that I really should pursue specialized training in it. And Luckily, I got connected with the director of adult palliative care at UMass, Jen Reedy, who's amazing and does a lot of work on medical education and conversations around serious illness. And Scott Bateman, who is the director of the PICU at UMass and also is board certified in palliative care and does a lot of palliative care within the pediatrics department at UMass. And they both were amazing mentors and really gave me a voice and an example of how one can pursue those interests in a more professional way and made me realize that going to fellowship was not as scary as it sounded and that it really was something I should think about. I took this leap of faith and when I was applying to fellowship and interviewing at various medical centers around the country, I really was struck by how much I felt like the people were my people. Like they were asking me about meaningful patients, what about those interactions were meaningful and how you sustain yourself in this work and things that like really, really got to the heart of who I am as a person. And I was like, oh my gosh, these are my people. Like this is, I found my place. And I feel like this entire fellowship year has done nothing but solidify that and made me even more passionate about the work that I do. I'm struck by the fact that before you chose pediatrics and ultimately pediatric palliative care, you were also drawn to surgery. And I always think about like surgery and palliative care are on the opposite end of the care spectrum. 
Any observations about that? Yeah, I would consider myself to be fairly laid back, yet also very intense. And I think palliative care brings about its own intensity. I think it takes a certain personality to be able to bear witness to such suffering and distress and pain and continue coming back every day. It is super intense. It's the relational intensity. It's a different checklist. In fact, it really isn't a checklist, is it? There's no No, real palliative care checklist. There's none. I'm so glad you brought that up. I feel like that was one of the biggest things I learned this year. And this fellowship, I feel like I've learned more and grown more as a human being in this past year than I had in all my years of education prior, just because I feel like I had my entire foundation knocked down and built back up in a completely different way. And it makes so much more sense to me. I have no idea what you're talking about, truly. So can you describe or explain what you mean? As medical providers, we are taught to heal and to fix and identify an issue and then work that up with labs and imaging and to the best of our ability, figure out what's going on and then treat it. And as a palliative care clinician, I feel like my role is not to identify and to fix. It is to understand and to bear witness and to exchange vulnerabilities with patients and their families and to really um, open up emotionally and allow the emotion in and to get deep down into what is the meaning of big things, life, love, passion. And those are things that I think are really at the heart of medicine, but it's been lost in every other place other than palliative care. And I just am so grateful to be able to to do that important work every day and do that meaningful work. What did you learn this year that surprised you? Oh, so much. I feel like I learned to be surprised and Mm -hmm. that every patient is different, truly. Every patient is different. Every family's journey is different. And I have been surprised at the resilience of many patients and families in a wonderfully positive way. When families have been told by medical providers that you know, there are no options left for further treatments or therapies. And there's that hope that families hold on to and how that gets them more days, weeks, months is just so humbling to me as a medical professional that I just love continuing to get surprised by that, that there's only so much that we know and to be able to be open to what I don't know and to be taught that over and over again has truly been a gift. As a pediatrician, I talk to patients and families every day, and there was something about this work and the conversations that we were having as palliative care providers that felt different. And I remember starting fellowship and feeling like I didn't remember how to talk to families. And I think a lot of that was just me being in my head and the scripts and having kind of a framework to uh, lean on was super helpful as the year went on and as I got more comfortable 
uh, with the questions I was asking and the language that we're using and the communication skills that I was learning, I definitely felt more freedom to almost improv a little bit and things really did become more of a conversation and it was a lot less stressful and felt a lot less intimidating and it was nice to be able to reach that point where I knew what I wanted to understand about a family and I knew that I had a baseline level of questions that I could ask and also I didn't really need it anymore. Did you ever have a situation and you can of course decide not to answer this where a particular patient or family issue or encounter was overwhelming for you and you needed to get help like I this I don't know how to handle yes several times and I really tried to go into this year of fellowship with humility and again allowing the foundation that had been built underneath me to be knocked down and built back up I'm a high-achieving individual. I went to medical school. I'm a type A perfectionist. Making mistakes is difficult. I really tried this year to learn, and I think I've actually made a lot of progress in learning that mistakes are great learning opportunities. And I would say, luckily, that they weren't even mistakes. They were just places where I felt uncomfortable or that I felt I had reached the limit of my skill set and I really needed help. There was a patient who had advanced cancer and was in inpatient and was approaching end of life. And we were involved for symptom management and supported the family as she was going through this process. She was on a PCA, uh, an infusion of uh, an opioid medication to help with comfort and side effects of shortness of breath. We were managing that, and I went and visited her early in the morning, spoke to the nurse, spoke to the, her mom, and everyone agreed she was comfortable, left it as, if things change, feel free to reach out. We're here all day. We'll come back. I didn't hear anything, checked in with the nurse in the evening before going home, and she said, you know, she's a little more uncomfortable. I think she's okay. I don't think you need to come see her, and I said, great. The next day I come in, the mom was very upset that, you know, you said you would, you would come by and see mm -hmm. us again. And we, you know, you weren't here when we needed you. And it just, it, it felt so, and I take su such tremendous pride in my work and I try hard every day to be as present as I can for families. And it felt so personal. And I felt like I just let her down, let the family down, let myself down, let the team down. It just, there was such disappointment in myself and, Luckily, I had other members of my team there to help support me and, and really make me realize that while there probably could have been things we could have done differently the day prior to allow for this family to feel more supported, that this is a very emotional situation and this reaction is not about you. This is about the fact that her daughter is dying and it's heartbreaking. That was a tremendous learning opportunity for me and a reminder that the emotion is not about me. This is not personal. And again, just a reminder of being present and what that means and how difficult that can be sometimes. Mm -hmm. All that emotion has to go somewhere. It does. And I've learned I'm happy to take it, bring it on. I think that was a really good turning point for me in my year mm -hmm. to really be able to separate myself personally from those emotions. And not to say I'm, I'm definitely far from a robot. I do get affected by patient stories and their journeys on a daily basis. However, I've become better at 
being able to separate those acute emotional responses that could feel like personal attacks mm -hmm. and I, I feel like I do a much better job of taking that in stride and in the context of the situation. What are some of the things that your patient and your patient families have taught you during your career as an evolving doctor? I love this question so much because I wouldn't be here without my patients. I, I find my work incredibly invigorating and I know that may sound strange coming from a palliative care provider, but again, to be allowed in and to witness such pain and also such courage. I've learned courage and what hope means and what love means and really what the essence of what life is all about from patients and families every day. And that looks different to different people. And I've also learned to be more aware of my own lack of knowledge and to be aware that there are things I don't know and to be humble and to learn. My patients are my best teachers. Children with severe medical complexity are mm -hmm. living longer with a lot more mechanical support, right. technological assistance, and there are implications for that for the family, for mm -hmm. the home. Can you talk a little bit about what you've observed about the implications of those limits getting pushed out? I've seen and learned a tremendous amount about how difficult it is to care for patients at home, and yet how many families are doing that on a daily basis, and what selfless love families have, and what they take on because they love their children, and what value and joy those children bring to the lives of their sisters and their brothers and their parents and their family at large. It's so heartwarming, and I just love being reminded of that. I've heard from multiple palliative care providers that when they get asked the question, how can you do this work? You know, you're dealing with children who are suffering and you're dealing with children who die. It's in fact, no, observing the love and the joy and the beauty and the hope, it's an affirmative space to practice in, not a depressing, sad place to practice in. Absolutely. I tell people that every day. Palliative care is actually quite joyful and tremendously happy. And most of my days are nothing but uplifting. Yes, there's a tremendous amount of pain and a tremendous amount of suffering that we see. And yet what really shines through is the resilience and the courage and the love. Palliative care sits at the intersection of a lot of different specialties, right? Because yes. it's children living with medical complexity or who have particularly complicated diagnoses that involve different systems, have lots of different specialists and subspecialists on their team. You have had a front row seat to how fragmented it can be and what that can be like for families. Can you just describe what your observations have been? We really try to help families navigate the medical system as a way of supporting them, given that, as you said, there's many subspecialists following most of our patients, and they're engaging with the medical system on a weekly, if not more, basis. And it can be overwhelming for families, especially those who are trying to learn medicine on the fly. I mean, we joke all the time that 
a lot of parents who have children with medical complexity really deserve honorary MDs because they just, they have no choice. Like you said at the very beginning, no choice but to learn is thrust upon them as part of easing suffering. I think that involves also trying to help families navigate this ridiculous system. I can think of many examples where it's as simple an intervention as us sending an email to another provider on behalf of a parent instead of the parent having to do that because we know how to get in touch with that person. It's just one less thing that that parent has to worry about on their list of millions of things to have to worry about. We can help facilitate team or family meetings for patients who are really in need of kind of a broad strokes review and overview of where they may be medically and also to engage various providers who may be involved in a patient care. So we do, we do try to facilitate very concrete interventions like that to really help families feel heard, especially when they're trying to navigate sometimes what ends up being a fragmented system because there's a lot of people involved and communication is difficult. I have to say, as kind of an insider, there is so much effort on the part of providers to really close loops, and it also is just very difficult. You understand how families can get frustrated, but you know, you see that all the intentions are positive. It's not a patient-family-friendly system. The providers are patient-family-friendly, but the system in which we're all operating is not. The system has only become more complex. What about the age-old problem that palliative care faces, which is helping families understand what palliative care is and what it isn't and why a referral to palliative care could be just what the doctor ordered? Have you had to introduce the idea of palliative care? Have you had to introduce yourself and get them to buy into saying yes to have you join the team? Yes, every day, actually. So we make it a habit of introducing our team to families when primary teams feel like families could benefit from our involvement or we hear about a family. I definitely had to learn kind of a spiel, so to speak, of how I describe what we do and a lot of dispelling of myths. We are not the end of life team. And just because we're getting involved, that does not mean that your child is dying right now or, you know, anytime soon. I really try and frame it as we are providers who work with your primary medical teams to learn about what's most important to you and your child in the hopes that we can help make each day as best as it possibly can be. You really have to adjust to what families need and what they're giving you and where they are. And it's, it's been a great practice. Going backwards, you, when you were chief resident, developed a palliative care curriculum to use with the residents. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to introduce palliative care to residents? Once I decided that that was something I was interested in that I was going to do, I kind of took off running with it. I just, I found where I was supposed to be and I felt unique amongst my peers in that I did not shy away from the difficult or the complex or the emotionally charged. I wanted to dispel some of those fears in others and make it feel more approachable and less intimidating. Regardless of whether you receive specialty training in palliative care or not, as a medical provider and as a pediatrician, you are going to run into situations that are difficult. 
whether it's helping learn communication skills to have difficult conversations or learning how to be more self-reflective to be able to kind of recharge when you have an emotionally difficult day at work for any variety of reasons. All of those skills are skills that I have only advanced this year as a subspecialty provider. I joked at one point, I wish I had done my chief resident year after this year because I feel like I could have been much more effective. Regardless, my goal for really developing that curriculum was to dispel some of those myths that we talked about that families may have, that palliative care is not just end-of-life care, that there are so-called primary palliative care skills that I feel and many people feel like every pediatrician really should know, kind of basic level of communication skills and gaining an understanding of families' goals and values so that they can be the best providers that they can be. Is that how you introduced it? I think I mostly focused on, to be quite honest, on trying to dispel the myths of what palliative care is and explain what palliative care is not. And then using a lot of actually CPN videos and resources to demonstrate that there is so much more to this than what you may think there is. That it doesn't have to be scary. It can be, it can be many things, but I would not want you to feel like it's scary because it doesn't have to be. Well, and what I love about what you said was you focused on primary palliative care, which is not the specialty of palliative care, but it's what I always think about is just good medicine, how to communicate, figure out yeah. what the patient's goals are, what matters most mm. to the patient, what matters most to the family. I would have thought that that's what any good care exchange involves when it's not purely about treating an emergency situation. The way I've always thought about it is like how empowering that must be to a provider who, as you said, there will be times when you're going to be in the room. Mm -hmm. when bad news has to be delivered and don't you want to be the person who can stay in the room who can help the person or persons receiving that bad news feel like a very difficult thing was done as well as possible not only do you not traumatize them by leaving the room you actually make a difference in how they remembered that moment in a positive way It's empowering, and I don't think that many providers and doctors really make that connection. There's this whole parallel talk that we could have about burnout in medicine and satisfaction. I love my job, and I truly believe it's because I'm talking every day about what matters to patients and families and really connecting on a deeper level. It's not difficult at all to really engage with families in a very personal way. I feel like I start most of my initial conversations with families by asking a very simple question of, tell me about who your kid is as a kid. I want to know who your child is. I continue to be surprised at what doors that opens and how quickly I am able to connect with families just by asking that question. It sounds so simple, and yet so much of that essential kind of basic human-to-human communication has been lost in the complexities of the medical system. It's really great to be able to bring that back. When you've had tough days, what do you do to reset or to take care of yourself? I go on a run. That's my emotional, spiritual, physical outlet. I don't listen to music, don't have headphones in. I just go out and run and take in the people and the things around me and let my mind wander. And it's so therapeutic. 
so recharging and it's just how I reset. I definitely rely on coworkers and friends and family to kind of help support me too. And I think going through this experience with others and being able to talk in a very open and honest way about how the work affects us is crucial to continuing to be able to do the work to our resilience as providers and as people who witness the journeys of patients and families. You have been trained in an academic environment a lot of research happening all around you and everywhere you've been educated and worked. Does palliative care research interest you? I've been particularly struck this year by a few themes, one of which is that of religion and spirituality and how that informs families' decision-making or how they interact with the medical system. I can think of a number of examples, actually, of families who are very deeply rooted in a faith in a higher power. There's only so many interventions that medicine may be able to provide, and ultimately their child's fate is in God's hands. How do we incorporate that into caring for a child when there are potentially limitations medically to what we can offer? And a lot of the work we do in those situations are trying to support the care team as well and help them navigate caring for the patient and family, knowing that context, maintaining hope with Mm -hmm. the families. That's a theme I've seen recurrently this year. And there's been a number of patients that I can think of whose parents have had tremendous faith that God will provide a miracle. And that miracle can mean any number of things. And yet that's pushing up against sometimes the the limitations that medicine has to offer. And how do we hold both of those things? My last question was, July marks a new batch of residents coming in to the hospital, beginning that phase of their training. What advice... Would you have, certainly as a chief resident that you were, but now as somebody who's just coming out of fellowship, any kernels of wisdom for new residents? So much I could say. For those starting their journey as official doctors, stay humble. I would challenge them to continue to strive toward a goal of finding at least one positive thing that happened every day. And I say that because the journey can be long and there are days that feel never ending and there's always something positive in every day, whether that be a positive interaction with a family member or a coworker. I felt like that was crucial for me and my framework and really important for my survival as a resident. And it's hard and it's worth it. And to kind of do your best to maintain that positivity, even if it's as simple as like, I had time for an extra cup of coffee today. Finding those little things that make the difference in your day. That's my challenge to them. Well, that is excellent advice for a resident, I imagine, but it's also excellent advice for a human being. Yes, (laughs) yes. Uh, Well, you are a gift to the field and your gift to CPM. I'm very grateful to you, Kate, for talking with us, for going into the field. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more stories and conversations, as well as videos, downloadable guides, and decision-making resources in English and Spanish, visit CourageousParentsNetwork.org. 
CPN is available 24-7 for parents and providers as they strive to provide the best care for the child and the entire family.